we defeated the throat goblin. Yes, and now and the bird. And scene. <laughs> um, so there's the origin of things. He talks about how uh, they believe the world was created, that it was made from the body and blood and bones of a massive giant. Mm. And all the different things are different parts of this giant. Uh, it goes into Yggdrasil, the world tree, and mm-hmm. how that defines um, not just Midgard, which is where we are, but the Asgard, which is where the gods are, and the lands of the giants, and the land of uh, the underworld, and what different creatures are part of this tree. Um, it describes sort of the origins of different things about the gods. So there's uh, this wise head that Odin goes to for advice and it explains why Odin lost his eye and why Thor has his hammer and things like that. Why there's this giant wall around Asgard. So it's basically like the first section is all, here's how all these things came into being. Mm-hmm. So I think we I think we can give a little bit of what of reactions as we, as we go here because... Part of part of that, the idea of like how they believed these things happened. It's interesting to me, and it's part of why I've been so passionately a fan of uh, Jordan Peterson. Is that Peterson makes the the assumption or the or the claim that <clears throat> you, we can't discount all mythology as simply a mistake of human consciousness mm-hmm. rather like you know people people are kind of assuming like oh these were the stories that we told when we didn't understand science and now that we understand scientific things scientific right. truths we all we need are these truths but what's interesting to me about mythology is that as these uh mythological truths are mentioned they aren't a straight one-to-one representation to me of like somebody making up a story of like, this is why it rains or this is why we have winter or this. Look, there are some, there is some of that in there. Same thing with Greek myths. There are some Greek myths where it's like, this is why we have spring and winter. Mm -hmm. This is why certain animals are the way they are. Right. There are those, but especially with the Norse stuff, it is a, a lot more psychological, a lot more, Mm-hmm. emotional a lot more about wisdom and foolishness and right. what power really ought to be right. and that kind of stuff yeah it's not as much a, a representation of you know uh, like i would imagine like a robot trying to come up with a logical explanation for things as much as it is a a an explanation of how to conduct yourself in such a way to mirror what the gods are right in in the right way and to be and like when you they come up with a a a perfect example of what you know a hero is and what you know what they have all these stories that replicate you know some of what humans go through and some of what like we're gonna probably get into a lot of the explanation of what noble fighting is right and that, and putting that as a, a all this importance on, you know, battling and having and and putting that above other 
right. things as like our society is going to honor good battle versus evil deception and things like that. And I think it's interesting um, when I was studying some about uh, the epic poems that come later in a lot of cultures. Um, I think it was, I don't remember what I was reading now that suggested this, but in the ancient world, your mythology defined your society. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just, oh, this is why certain things happen. It's this is what we value as a society. Mm. Or what our values are like, and you could take you could see that based on what the mythology of that group was like. When um, epic poems started getting written in the twelfth and thirteenth centuries, they were redefining their cultures. Mm -hmm. The world had changed so much by the time that part, you know, of Rome fell, and they had to rebuild their societies after the Dark Ages and mm -hmm. plagues and all this stuff had hit them. So now they were redefining their cultures. They're saying, this is what we think is important. And they wrote these giant epic stories of these crazy heroes right. because that's what they wanted to hold up mm -hmm. as this is what we treasure. Um, and it's interesting to see how those epics changed and stuff over time. But anyway, um, mythology is still important. Even if people today don't think they believe in a mythology or that, you know, mythology is just what we use to explain stuff that we now understand as science. <laughs> I think that's nonsense, especially considering how big things like the Marvel movies and Star Wars and stuff that are basically heroic mythical stories mm -hmm. are to the world. I really do believe common, you know, modern um, superheroes are basically American mythology. Right. Other than our own founding father stories, which are all also not entirely true mm -hmm. <laughs> as far as factually, right. but they're showing what our country considers heroes. Right. And I, and I think that there's, there seems to me in the academic field now, there's a spectrum between people that claim you all, everyone believes in like, like I think Jordan Peterson has made the claim is that somebody like a Sam Harris, who um, is very much anti He's more on the spectrum of, excuse me, uh, Buddhist beliefs, mm -hmm. excuse me, where they've they've referred to a lot of their things as consequences of having all these senses that are battling each other, and it's and the cessation of suffering comes from this um, aestheticism and things like that. That's a lot more about human behavior than it is about storytelling and, and having values that are objective and things like that. Um, but what he said about people like that are, you really believe in Christianity because when I ask you, should you, should you murder someone? You're going to tell me the things that we, the stories that we've been telling for centuries and, and, and that we've come to that place because of this structure that we have. Um, I think you can go from that to, to where I feel like I am, where it's like, I, if I talk to somebody about mythology and they assume that it's, you know, tied to the patriarchy and that it's like a lot of power hungry people that made up these stories in order to have power and, and create a society that they had control of. What I will say is why are they so powerful to so many people? And it's it, what I would want that person to explain to me is why in whenever you go and no matter what part of the world you're in, does it have such a power among people to to 
change their societies and that there's you can say that a person can invent god or they can invent uh some stories that will sway some people but the fact that over many hundreds and thousands of years everybody has their own value systems that they display with these mythological you know these deities and these stories um it's 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 a similar structure that works no matter where you go and so what 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 i would what i would ask is like why is it so influential yeah if it's just something that people made up just sim- simply to explain you know how things came to be and that and that's it it seems to be working on a far deeper yes. you know psychological level anyway. i think it fulfills a lot deeper needs than just that People don't just need to know, you know, how certain things are happening. They want to know why mm-hmm. certain things are happening. And right. science does not explain why things happen. Mm-hmm. So people still need that. They still want a reason behind the universe. Right. So I think some of the stuff that, that well, for one thing, I liked um, how Neil Gaiman's writing style changed. I think in each of the sections, mm. the beginning was very just sort of expository poetic, but in, 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 in a very expository kind of way. Right. Mm. Like, it was yeah, more, he kind of set up the, right. It's a like, bunch this of is, things. This is how this was made. And it was very, he, he writes, he writes it very prettily, I think. Mm. Um, but I think it also showcases what the Norse cultures valued. Mm. Um, wisdom obviously was huge to them. Mm-hmm. Huge. The whole point of Odin is that he is all-knowing, that he sees everything, mm-hmm. and that he understands everything. It's not just that right. he's watching all of these things. He understands all of them. And how much he sacrificed so many things mm-hmm. <laughs> to gain more wisdom. Right. Like, that was his whole purpose was to always understand everything. Um, he gives up his eye for it. Mm-hmm. He kills, dies himself. Mm-hmm. For it, the the phrasing there fascinates me. the The way they describe it, he sacrifices himself to himself mm. to understand the magic of the runes, right? And it's just I don't know that blows my mind. Well, yeah, I, and I'll I'll bring up something also that Jordan Peterson's brought up because a lot of I bring him up not just because I, I have some kind of hobby horse, although I I do <laughs> I do like what he says about modern politics and stuff like that, but underneath that. He is a person who has studied um, psychology and through a number of different things that also interest me. And one of those is mythology because he also brings up how like Osiris, that's a part of their myth. Mm-hmm. And that what's interesting about him is that what, what he thinks that that represents for that society was that you have your eyes open and that he, there's, there's that, that kind of thing of giving sacrificing part of your vision but then also keeping an eye open it's kind of an interesting thing that pops up also in, right. in, in there's a Egypt. lot of um even in greek mythology most of their seers were blind like mm-hmm. people that could prophesy right were physically blind mm-hmm. so there's this connection to giving up sight of the mortal world right to gain sight in the other world right and so that's it's an interesting thread throughout a lot of different myths that that understanding doesn't just come from 
what you no, number one physical strength or physical even physically seeing but there's this deeper type of scene right and i remember that that was actually a big part of my world religion class that there's this and a lot of religions seeing is this powerful metaphor that so many different religions use to discuss like what what it means to be wise and uh, that, that that was a really cool. I read that that was part of the part that I listened to. That was interesting to see how Odin rep- represented wisdom to those people, and how even though they are a society that that um, treasured and and glorified violence and strength and things like that, there was also the idea that their leaders had to be wise and had to be aware of right. what was going on, and not just you know. Uh, ape-like and 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 always act, like acting on instinct. Right. The, there was this there focus was on, it. yeah, focus on being the type of person that is willing to sacrifice things and uh, is trying to learn all the time and, and things like that. It's kind of yeah. Um, another thing that they valued very highly was craftsmanship. Um, they had the whole race of dwarves. Um, which were just awesome at making stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, there's that whole story of how um, how Mjolnir was made mm. and several other treasures that the gods had um, were basically Loki. Loki. Loki's so much fun. <laughs> um, it, it, it's just amusing because every time I've read the actual myths about him, basically... Somebody realizes there's a problem, so they go find Loki because it's either his fault or he's the one that can fix it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's what they do. They wake up, there's a problem. Hey, Loki, did you do this? No. Okay, so how do we fix it? Uh-huh. <laughs> or even if you did do it, you got to fix this. Uh-huh. Um, but Loki basically tricks the dwarves into making these things for the gods because he cut off all of Thor's wife's hair. And he was in trouble with Thor, so he's like, I gotta get them something. Uh-huh. Um, but that's how they get Mjolnir, that's how they get uh oh, that's interesting. Odin's spear. Mm-hmm. There's a boat that folds up and fits in your pocket. All this cool stuff. Everybody wants one of those. You, you totally want one of those. Um <laughs> it should be the stocking stuffer of this year is the, bo- yeah, the boat the, the that you can fit in your pocket. Because why wouldn't you want that? <laughs> Um, but craftsmanship was definitely a huge thing to them. And mm-hmm. and if you've ever seen any of the treasure hordes of Vikings, mm-hmm. oh my word. And it's not just stuff that they snitched from other places, although they did do that. Uh-huh. They made a lot of beautiful things. Mm. Yeah, and it's not something that you initially... that That's one interesting thing about talking about a society like this that is represented as being very warlike. Right. You don't think about... There's actually a, a funny Netflix show that we should that maybe i'll put in the in the hat uh we do a random media minicast where we pull stuff out of the hat it's on our patreon we'll talk about that later anyway <laughs> point being that there's a show on netflix called norseman and it's actually a comedy thing oh, really? about norse oh yeah ancient ah. norse mythology we should watch that norse. after we watch the 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 last kingdom because the last oh, kingdom is so right. depressing yeah so the last kingdom is about the the danes versus the saxons saxons um, but Norsemen is kind of just like a broad comedy about Norse, uh, Norse society. But one of the things is this guy talking about 
like putting horns on the helmets. Oh yeah. And he talks about it's like this is what fashion is, and so <laughs> he's like this fake guy that's trying to explain to them, and that's what fashion means to me. And they're just like, what are you talking about? What? But um, what's funny about that is that you don't think about this warlike society being doing something for the aesthetic of it. Oh man, but they had some beautiful and stuff. looking at that as like, oh, this is a beautiful horned helmet. I don't even think but they it, put, didn't actually put horns on their helmets. Oh, <laughs> anyway. But they but they did do a lot of very fine uh, metalwork. Um, they did a lot of fine weaving. Mm. Mostly, my theory is. They had really, really long nights because they're really far north. So they had so really. Wait, if they didn't do the horn helmet thing, was that just a barbar- barbarian? I think that was a general barbarian. That's what I'm. Yeah, that's what I was thing. just thinking. Um, <laughs> but my theory is, any culture where you have long, long nights like that, where you literally can't go outside or you freeze to death, mm-hmm. yeah, got to do something. So they just they invented very, very elaborate ways of weaving. They told really great long stories. Mm. They, they made amazing metal things because they would steal metal stuff from other places and bring it home and melt it down and turn it into beautiful jewelry. Right. Um, and they did have some really good armor. I don't oh. know much about their ship construction, but I'm fairly sure they had fairly awesome ships. Were they? Did they introduce? Because I know, I know, like English ships had like mermaids and stuff on the front, and often when they depict. Viking ships, they have like, like a, dragon a dragon or something on the front. I don't know how common that is. I don't know. Really. But I'm pretty sure that's probably older. Hmm. That's probably an ancient world thing to put stuff right. on your ship. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yes, beautiful craftsmanship. Um, and honoring your word mm. is a big deal. Okay, so, that, so I was going to bring this up. What's interesting is that I heard there was a comedian talking about how, like, with women, if there's if somebody betrays somebody, then you never talk to that person again, and the group closes off to them. Off to them. But with guys, it seems like that guy can do something horrible, and then they fight about it ferociously, and then the next time you see them, hey, it's... it's John, he's crazy. John's so crazy. So part of the joke is that, like, for some reason, like, with the the whole Loki thing, what's funny is that they go to him knowing that he is intelligent and also, and very selfish. Right. But because of his intelligence, they know that they need to, that they need to keep him within the society and that it's better maybe to... Like ultimately, I I know like all signs point to yes that he's going to get punished. We will get to what happens the, to, at the end. But as far as like, it's better to keep him as part of the society than to, to completely shun him. Yes, because of how crafty and right. stuff he because is. Because he can get them out. He does get them out of a lot of tight spots. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they are usually in the tight spot to begin with, right. Because of his. It's a very interesting stuff. thing because I think in some stories you can probably say like, why would they bother? Right, like just murder him because it's better. But I think in other situations, well, in the beginning, he's not being malicious. Mm-hmm. He's just being, like you're saying, being selfish. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to get what he can get out of it for himself. Right. He's not like trying to hurt them. Right. 
Um, like, so for example, the, the first story that they have that really focuses on him is the one with the wall around Asgard. Um. He sees this worker show up who wants to, you know, who they need to build a wall around Asgard because giants. Mm-hmm. And um, they see this guy come up who volunteers to build the wall. He's like, watch this. He's not going to be able to do it in a year. We'll only give him a year. And he's not going to be able to finish it in a year. And then we won't have to pay him for it. Mm-hmm. Right? So he, he talks all the gods into doing this deal. Mostly because, like, it's not about him wanting to hurt the gods. He's mm. just like, look, we get a free wall. Uh. But then it turns out that the guy building the wall is not just a guy. He's got this magic horse, and he himself is stronger than a guy should be. So it looks like he's actually going to finish this wall. So Loki has to go to rather extreme and hilarious lengths to get rid of the guy <laughs> so that they don't get this wall. And then sitcom episode. <laughs> and then nine months later, he comes back and has a baby horse. Long, crazy story. Anyway, that he does not talk about because he doesn't want anybody to know that he was a girl horse and there is now a baby horse. And that's just all I'm going to tell you. Um, but yeah, so so at the, originally in the earlier parts of the stories, mm. Loki is not malicious. He's not trying to bring down Asgard. He's not, you know, he's just... Mischievous, right? right. Like and he's and doing I think pranks. there are, are other mythological things like with like Hades being one of the gods and like Seth. Right. Usually these gods are like the underworld right. gods where like it's a death is a part of life and that seems to be the part of it. But what's interesting about Loki is that it's more like he's a god of like chaos. Right. And he takes upon those mischief type things that would later on. Like, I think that's a big part of, like, Chinese mythology. Mm. There's, like, fox foxes are tricksters. And a lot of American myths, right. like, foxes are tricksters and stuff. And there's this idea of, like, you, like, they're not to be, some of them, some of them, like, in, I think in Chinese mythology, they do the same thing where they honor the trickster's cunning and don't demonize it as much as like with american things so it's it's this kind of balance where like there is a consequence to when you go back on your word but at the same time it's not like every time there's a trickster or somebody that's selfish do they immediately murder that person in the streets right in order to prove a point there's this balance of like redemption and you know going back on your word and stuff like that um, so it's clear to me that those are those are at least from these stories the three main things you can tell that they honored. Mm. Um, I've read a few other uh, Norse stories, not mythology, but their epics from later on. Mm-hmm. Um, the the difficulty with any of these stories, and and Neil Gaiman goes into some of it in the intro, is that not very much of it survived Christianity. Mm-hmm. Like it was. Some cultures, when the Roman Catholics moved in, they like literally just destroyed stuff. Mm. Some places they absorbed a lot of things or wrote stuff down. Mm. So we have some stuff from like say Central America or, or South America that the Spaniards wrote down before everybody right. was gone. Um, but a lot of the Norse stuff disappeared mm-hmm. or was changed a lot when Christianity went through. Right. Even the stuff that he is going from. Uh, as source material, even though it's the, some of the oldest stuff we can get, 
is still like 1100s. So it's after Christianity had moved through there. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I did read one very interesting epic. It's the uh, Yale saga Mm. where it's happening at the time Christianity rolled into Iceland. Okay. And so they actually have the, the Viking culture was so, so interesting. So if you read any of the epics, you, you get a very day-to-day look at how they lived. Not Beowulf necessarily. Beowulf is a very, very fantastical one. But some of the other ones are a lot more day-to-day. This is how we lived every day kind of things. Huh. And um, <clears throat> yes, most people think of them as, you know, they went out and they raided a bunch of other places. And, and they do that in the stories. Mm-hmm. But also they were farmers and they had land back home right. that they took care of. And they had a very interesting government system. And like literally, they would just have big meetings every year, where you came in mm. and sued people who messed with you all year or whatever. And it was all very not really democratic, but very like judicial based. Uh-huh. So like they brought this whole question of Christianity to this thing because people were starting to fight over it. Mm-hmm. And they're like they sat and discussed it. They had all their wise leaders talk about it for a while, and they came back with, "Okay, look, Christianity is going to win eventually. So you should all." Act like Christians, and if y'all want to do your Norse thing at home, just do that and don't cause trouble. <laughs> like it was just basically um, like we're not tearing each other apart over this. Right. Let's just chill out. Hmm. Um, and w- that's what's interesting to me about the state that it's in now. We'll get more into this, I'm sure. But the it's hard to look back on these things without without this postmodern lens that we have now. Right. Where now we're just like, well, we know these are all stories and they're kind of fun to go over. And it's interesting, like reading like an Old Testament story where you're like, you know, if you are from that, from our tradition, you're cheering on them, you know, tearing down like the Baal statues and things like that. Especially when you get to like the ones where they're sacrificing kids to the things. Yes. But when, when it's interesting seeing like in the in the last kingdom which I think we both recommend it's interesting seeing how how they interpret this person who is kind of torn between England and uh Denmark Denmark and it's interesting seeing the um Danland or whatever they call it they're, they're really very good I think at not making it seem like one is more demonized the than the other yeah. Like they're because the Danes hate the Christians and the Christians like right. both sides think the other one's crazy. But like the, the way that they show the <clears throat> British, even though it's it's like it, there's this conflict going on. They're very good at showing like, well, this these two sides genuinely believe in what they're right. they're doing, and so yeah, it's just interesting thinking about those things because like we often talk about with the stuff that we write that like Jesus told parables and used stories all the time to make illustrations not and and about a lot of very moral like things and how how things work in a metaphorical way and so it's interesting seeing thinking about all these things and and how popular certain stories are nowadays and seeing how religion has evolved and how they've been separated from these larger narrative structures so that people see, well, I'm not like, nobody would ever say that they're like 
religion is comic books. (laughs) But, like, at the same time, they go to conventions and they have posters of Thor. They don't necessarily consider it organized religion, but their behavior could be compared to those sorts of... And And we were just discussing, I was making fun of the, you know, I'm a Mormon and I'm a carpenter commercials. So there is this, like realization that when you're when you actually do believe in something and you don't want to belittle it by saying you know i'm gonna put you know a little christianity in my life and also you know be a fan of rock you know or like you know the the different hobbies that you have but at the same and and in some ways when they when people i feel like people do that they make those types of commercials that are you know trying to make it seem like well, I'm a Mormon, but I'm also a human being. There's this kind of like double think nowadays. Whereas back then it was very cut and dry. You were a Christian or you were, and because a lot of it was. everybody had that. Like there were no, well, I'm not anything people. Right. You had, you picked a side, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't, we didn't have necessarily a basis for atheism. So there was mostly, you know, you're some religion or other. Maybe you weren't terribly, you know, into it, mm-hmm. but it was assumed you were mm-hmm. one or the other, or right? But from what you're saying, there was there was at some point when you started having to make a compromise. This idea that you could pretend that you were a Christian, right? But really, you had your own gods and you had your own the cultural God, right. tradition, which I think is what we would criticize about it. That when you try to use religion as a and make it a war type thing where right. we're going to conquer you and force you to do, to do this. what we do. That's not how then works. what that, what that, what that always is this, this net need to pretend. And right. it happened a lot of places mm-hmm. that any religion took over right. forcefully like that. It, it was always oh, a, a nice, a nice book to, to uh, go for that, for the Chinese, the Chinese tradition is um, Jean, Jean Luen Yang wrote a book called, uh, it's a two-part graphic novel series called Boxers and Saints, and it's about the Boxer Rebellion, but it shows somebody who is a Chinese rebel and them seeing what the the Christian invasion is like, and then a Chinese convert and how they see it. Oh, wow. And so it's a very interesting thing because it takes both sides. We're, we're going to take a small break and hear a word from our sponsors. But when we get back, we're going to get into some uh, actual, uh, Ragnarok. The actual adventure stories, and then Ragnarok. Oh, and then Ragnarok. And then uh, talk about the cultural impact of Norse mythology. So we'll see you on the other side of the bump. Welcome back. <laughs> Did the same? Okay. <laughs> so now what we next? get into the section that is sort of the mm-hmm. adventure stories, I'm calling them. The actual gods interacting with each other. Um and what they got up to. Um, I thought it was interesting. I think a lot of... You could, you could see how fairy tales could have come from some of these stories. Because mm. I'm pretty sure one of them was pretty much Jack and the Beanstalk. Oh, hey. It's like Thor and the Beanstalk, but whatever. <laughs> Might as well have been the same How thing. does that story not go... Well, I guess it did go different. I, I I don't know, but he goes up the to the to the giant's house, and she hides them from her husband, uh-huh. and then he steals the husband's. Golden uh, news. No, he's looking for the big the big 
brewing thing that magically makes beer. That makes that so much better. <laughs> Why is it the not giant about has big this giant machine? cup that you just tell it to brew beer for you, and it does it. Oh, it makes come this on. really awesome beer. That's the best. Right? So then he steals it from the guy, and they go sliding down part of Yggdrasil, the, the, the tree of life, uh-huh. and they try to... to not let the giants chase. Like I'm pretty sure it's giant. It's totally Jack and the Beanstalk. It's just the Thor version, which is better. Um, one of them also reminded me. Oh no, not necessarily reminded me, but I can see something maybe like the frost, the Snow Queen, having come from a myth that we don't know anymore, mm-hmm. but that was totally related to this group of myths, you know. Uh-huh. But yeah, I can I can see how this this may have spawned quite a few fairy tales. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but this is where we get things like, uh, (laughs) Loki promised one of the goddesses to a giant because he wanted to marry her. And Freya, of course, said no way. So they dress Thor up like a girl and try to get the giant to marry Thor. (laughs) Like, crazy stuff. Like, it's insane. They're hilarious. I did a facepalm for those of you (laughs) not currently in the room with me. Um... But anyway, it's it's all kinds of crazy antics, um, and the, the I wonder if those types of things. This is another thing I want. I just wonder about whether those things had the same comedic punch then, because that they had to have. They because had that's to have. that's something that just the thought, idea of dressing Thor up like a girl when Thor is because oh, Thor is like so not. It was Ricky Gervais. He said that like it. That's the funniest thing. That a man can do is dress up like a woman. <laughs> Especially and, like a but, burly guy with like a beard. When you're that... when you're doing it ironically, obviously. Yes. But the I have to assume with the, given how that society was, that, that and then and then he put on a wig and all the kids are like tittering. <laughs> because it's different when Loki does it. Loki can actually become a woman. Right. And so Loki at times in the stories will become a woman. Right. And and run around as a female. And to me that has more of the psychological meaning of that when you change your fit like that kind of right and it has that connotation it's not like oh haha because loki that like there's context for that within all types of mythology but that idea of thor yeah it's just yeah it's funny (laughs) the veil over his face because he has a beard he wasn't gonna shave yeah it was it was i can't even anyway Like, I don't know why they didn't dress up Loki like a girl, because he apparently is pretty and would have done better. But anyway. Um, so, yes, all kinds of very interesting, crazy adventure stories. And and Neil Gaiman's tone changes here. Like, the way he writes changes for this section. Uh-huh. This section reads a lot more like short stories. Oh, okay. Um, there's a lot more dialogue. There's a lot more snarky stuff, because this is the ones where I've been posting on Twitter, like, shut up, Thor. Hey. <laughs> Just shut at, up. At, at Mom Toast. <laughs> what was the other one funny that I put up? Loki oh, tweets. Loki is like, I'm here to rescue you. And the girl's like, well, you're the reason I got captured in the first place. And he's like, yeah, well, that was yesterday's Loki. Today's Loki is here to rescue you. <laughs> like, stuff like that. It's, it's right. really good. Um, And I'm fairly sure that, even though I know this is like Neil Gaiman's humor twist on a lot of the stories mm. that the original humor was in those because uh-huh. the the even the epic sagas have some really snarky sarcastic right. things in it and that, that's another interesting thing is that that idea they didn't necessarily have the like they weren't self-conscious enough 
to not have those things where like Loki is doing some things that are inconsistent. Right. Like obviously nowadays it would be like they throw that script away and right. come up with a new one. But at the same time, you do have that tension that you would have in a modern thing of it's funny that he that Thor is dressing up like a girl, right. and it's funny that Lo, let that Loki, you know, caused like there that there's that tension of the char- building character. We know these characters from the last time we told the story, right. things like that. It's so interesting to see that in such an ancient yeah. thing because we we do our best to separate ourselves from the actions of all these ancient people. But when we talk about them telling a story about a guy in a dress right. pretending it's, it's, to be, be surprised the bride of this. Away it is. It's know. still, people are still people. They yeah. were still people thousands of years ago. Right. And they're going to still be people thousand years from now. Right. And we're all like a good joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it, it's, some of it's kind of gross humor and some of it's, ironic humor and some of it's you know right very intelligent humor but all of it's still there anyway mm-hmm. um this is the one thing i wanted to bring up while, while we got through these stories even though they're not necessarily connected um i feel like the norse myths or at least what little of the norse myths we still have has a more coherent story than most other mythologies mm-hmm. like I know a lot of Greek myths, but I don't consider it one big long story, like continuous story that has a beginning uh-huh. and an end. The The Norse myths have a beginning and they have an end. Like there's a very definite, this is what happened at creation, yeah, this is what happened in between, that. and this one has an end. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure if any other mythology does that. Right. But anyway, through all of these adventure stories, Loki starts getting darker. Uh-huh. Right? Um, and it starts, he starts the section actually with or near the beginning of this section, is describing Loki's children. Uh-huh. And I was reading about these bits, and I was like, why didn't they do this in Ragnarok? Because she would have been so much more terrifying mm. if they had shown her the way it's described in here. Um, so in the original myths, Loki is not Thor's brother. Loki is actually blood brother to Odin. They're right. not actually related. Loki is not an Asgardian. I think he's actually a... a, a what do they call Frost him? Frost no, he's not a frost giant. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's that's how they explain it in the movies. There were two different I guess to make sets it... of gods. The okay. Aesir and the oh, right, right. Vesir. I forget how to say it. And they had a fight, and then they stopped the fight and agreed to make a truce. And so some of the Vesir went to live with the Aesir, <laughs> and some of the Aesir went to live with the other group. Um, anyway. Yeah, so to make it simpler for the audience, Marvel just kind of like, he's yeah. a frost giant baby. Yeah, just whatever. Um, but he's still considered an outsider, right? To the to the gods, the other gods that are there. Right. But it is interesting to know that rather than it being like in the Marvel movies, father, illegitimate son, right. legitimate son, it's blood brothers, two different races, right? Of God, and Thor is the is Thor, Odin's son. Yeah, his own son. He has other sons too, which we don't hear about in yeah. the other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but then. Uh, Loki has children by a giantess, um, and they are the Midgard Serpent, uh, Fenris Wolf, mm-hmm. and Hel. And Hel is half normal-looking girl, half dead girl, like, on the same body. Mm-hmm. And it's horrifying sounding. <laughs> like, well, they should have just showed her as that's that. That's interesting. Only word. I, if so, 
there's a movie coming out called Brightborn. I think Brightburn. And it's like a it's like a horror movie version of Superman. Mm -hmm. But if they were to do like it would be cool if James Gunn got to because it's a James Gunn movie. If he got to do a trilogy that were all like what if superhero things. Right. That would be cool if he got to do it that way because I think in the Marvel movies they were trying to make it not not as terrifying. Well that that and also that the the tone be consistent in that you're never sure what Loki's going to do. Right. And if they were to make him as that, that's another interesting thing about mythology is that the tone shifts a mm. lot. And just because Loki is the father of these demon things, doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad guy. Right. So it's kind of interesting that that's like, you have those figures that are the level of your other more noble gods. And yet they're not like, I don't know how to put it, but anyway, it, that's just an interesting thing to me. That that at the time they probably felt the same way about Loki that we do. There's like, oh, that wascally rabbit right. that <laughs> gets Thor in trouble all the time. Whereas if we were alive back then, we would be like, why, why don't you just kill this guy? Because he's the father of all the demon spawn. Right. Right. Um, but well, yeah, but I see, think then, that's why they wouldn't have had it in a Marvel. Right. Thing. And even then, they don't destroy his children. Right. That they too, take uh, the Midgard serpent and put him in the ocean, mm -hmm. who then grows huge and wraps around the world. <sighs> they put Hell in charge of the underworld, mm -hmm. and the wolf they try to bind. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I guess Hell, hell comes from that. Yes. Okay. And Never knew it. Uh, the wolf they tie up, but mm. they have to go through like a like a Samson thing with the wolf because they know they don't know what's going to be able to tie him up, so they have to oh, trick him gotcha. into get tied up few times um and that's how tear loses his hand now we don't get to hear much about tear but tear is my personal favorite mm. of the gods actually right because at least the way neil gaiman made it sound that i don't remember this part reading the original but he actually raises the wolf mm. himself and then when they go to tie it up the wolf realizes okay you guys are trying to Tie me up for real. Like, right. what's the deal? And they promise him, no, no, we're just still trying to see if you're strong enough to get out of these bonds. You know, it's a fun competition. What are you, the chicken, blah, blah, blah. Uh. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. But one of you has to put your hand in my mouth. Mm. And then you can tie me up. And right. Tyr volunteers mm. to put his hand in the wolf's mouth. Right. And they tie him up and he can't get out. And so, you know, Tyr's just like, it's fine. I know they lied to you. Just take it. And he, loses his hand like he knew that was going to mm -hmm. happen um but anyway so tier he was calling him the god of war i had always heard of him as the god of justice but whatever mm. either way he's awesome well well i think that that's a good discrepancy to make because i think that or a good distinction to make rather um because you see within that this idea of masculinity being i think in our western eyes we see you know, this masculinity is something that is negative because a lot of our ancestors yeah, were, very, were, were very, you know, uh, chintzy about how they dealt with conquering and, and coming in and settling. And so we associate it with something that's evil. But in a lot of these societies where they're trying to find their definition of what it means to be a noble warrior... I think justice is a good way to put it because what that shows is I'm going to go raid this town 
I could either come back with very good things or your father could die. (laughs) And so there's this idea of this masculine thing where like you, in order to provide you risk sacrificing. Right. Uh, And so it's, it's, it's a cool, I think that's a cool character. And that, that idea, that having that idea within the thing, I think makes the mythology a lot richer um, than like what we simplify it to where like Thor is this kind of bratty. Right. Ego written. Well, guy. to be fair, Thor in the stories basically hits things with hammers. Oh no, sure. That's but, like yeah. his job. But I mean, having, that's what he does. Having all <laughs> these different gradations right, of, of different, different, different gods, you get more of a rich understanding of how they viewed the right. thing. Um, but so then as a consequence of this, Odin, I don't know if Odin sees it himself or if he, in talking to the head of Mimir, uh, figures out how the ending is going to happen. Uh-huh. Like, he knows Balder dies, Loki gets bound, and world ends. Like, uh-huh. he knows the, the right, things the that will need to happen. <laughs> yeah, And he's like, I can see this coming. I don't know when it's going to happen, but uh-huh. I know it's coming. Right. So all through the stories... Um, there are little reminders of these things. Like you remember Loki's kid, you know, this thing. Mm-hmm. Cause there's one point where like Thor goes fishing and pulls up part of the Midgard serpent mm-hmm. or like, you know, just bits like that where things are just kind of going downhill. Right. Um, Ragnarok just is such a cool word. Isn't it? That's one of those other things that's cool when you study mythology and ancient civilizations is that, at least in the Western, in the European thing, there are certain things that still sound cool. Yeah, and Ragnarok just sounds terrifying. You, we don't use that in commerce. Like, we use Armageddon right. a lot, and we know that that's what that's tied to. But Ragnarok still sounds awesome, even though <laughs> most no, people no that know they know it as the Marvel movie. <laughs> they don't necessarily know everything that happens. All I knew of it was the snake swallowing its own yes. tail. Because the Midgard serpent eats Ouroboro. lots of stuff, and the wolf eats everything else. And <laughs> That's such a great way of describing it. <laughs> Basically, snake eats some stuff. Wolf, wolf eats, eats some stuff. Else. <laughs> World ends. <laughs> um, but like, so the the main parts where you start to really see that Loki is losing it. Um, there is a story about uh, one of the goddesses has this little box full of golden apples. That is what keeps the gods young. Mm-hmm. That gives them their eternal youth. Mm-hmm. And Loki basically sets it up so that he gets the last one, and then not the last one, but he gets one, and then sends her away. So all the other gods are going to get old and die, and he won't. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, okay, now we realize you are plotting stuff against um, everybody. Right, now it's no right. longer just I'm going to cause trouble. Right. It's I am done with these guys. I don't know exactly what the turning point is for him. Like when he decides, okay, all these gods suck and I want out. Mm-hmm. But he at some point turns into this, like, you all hate me and you've always hated me and I've always hated you and we're just done with this mess now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he actually, uh, Neil Gaiman was bummed because he started to write the the story about, I don't know if it's in the death of Baldur or if it's the last days of Loki, but um Loki basically shows up at one of their parties mm-hmm. and gets trashed out drunk <laughs> and has this long, beautiful poem 
trashing every god. Like, he literally just goes through the whole list and tells them why they suck. <laughs> like, that is his thing. That's interesting. And then, like, this is when you realize Loki's, like, right. done with them. Well, and that's an interesting thing because it's kind of introducing... I was just talking to um, my, my grandma and I were just discussing, uh, like, like beating men that, that, that hit women. And I was saying, like, nowadays... There's this weird, there's this weird dynamic of, say your husband punches the wall mm-hmm. next to you, you know now that he has anger issues, yeah. and you have a choice. You can leave, take your kids with you if you have kids. Um, if we got to that point, or you can assume that this is a one-time thing, or or that he needs help, get him help, and that you can stay with him, right? So there's. It's this idea of the pathological person. Right. Up to this point in the mythology, they're they're the they're psychologically they're saying there are people that you can't trust sometimes, and but then you forgive them. Right. And they're still part of the society. So like, say this represents like a warring faction. You trust them, and you say we have peace with each other. And there's all those things about like giving a child to raise and stuff like that. These different things that keep checks and balances in. But then, all of a sudden, that person burns down a village. Yeah, and you're just and like, you're like nope. this person needs to be no, stopped. We're done. And so there's that. That's an interesting thing. Even in that ancient society, the idea of this is a pathological person. This right. person, some switch has flipped. Yeah, and, and he's they need to be out. punished. But for so they don't. They, they don't do it at this point after the the speech. Uh-huh. What they do eventually, though, Loki. Um, orchestrates the death of one of Odin's sons. Mm-hmm. And that is the line that they, they're they done with at that point. They're like, okay, we know it was him. He didn't do the actual killing, mm-hmm. but he orchestrated this. Mm. So they trap him. And this is when it starts getting really, really dark. And you know Neil Gaiman can get dark, so he didn't even care. <laughs> yeah. So like, it goes from fun stories of Thor getting dressed as a girl to <laughs> Loki getting wrapped up in his own child's innards. And left in a cave with poison dripping on his head. Like, we're mm-hmm. talking... They're yep. like, we let you get away with a lot of stuff, but we're done with this now, mm-hmm. and you're gonna pay for this. Right. Um. But then... Oh, let me see if I can remember the actual... Thing that and you, so, well, I can vamp a little bit. Yes. The, so while... Like, you can think about this as... Like, the storytellers at this time aren't... Like, you're saying, like... You, you almost can see like the change in terms of there's different creative evolutions of like stories uh-huh. where there's somebody that is aware that there's like like fairy tales almost like their version of fairy tales where they there are little anecdotes that you tell in order to keep kids in line and then something dramatic happens like the holocaust <laughs> right and then your stories change yeah and so i can almost see that being a thing where like Something you happened. get into the details of Ragnarok in order to let your society know that there's some there's something seriously wrong with people, mm-hmm. and like people need to be punished. Right. There needs to be some there needs to be some consequence to this, or or at least like it's an example of like an extreme punishment for somebody that has gone completely yeah the wrong direction. So like imagine Hitler. Like you tell that story about Hitler. In a room of a bunch of Jewish people, yeah, and they're gonna be like, and yeah. they're like, exactly, 
that's what should have happened. Right. <laughs> so eventually the gods say, okay, we're done. Loki gets bound. Um, and then they don't explain exactly why the world starts to, um, starts to fall apart. There's a long winter that does not end. Mm. And there is a, so basically all the worst parts of game of Thrones yeah. happen. Right. Um, there's nasty wars. There's a winter that just keeps going on and on and on, and people just destroy each other. And when there are very few people left, there will be this massive earthquake, and everything that is bound will be undone. So Loki will be set free, the wolf will be set free, and huh. the gods go to war. So Loki basically brings up the hordes of his daughter's armies from hell. Uh, the frost giants show up. All the enemies of the gods show up, and there's just this all-out warfare. Mm. Which ends the world. Like, the world is destroyed. The sun gets eaten by the wolf. The moon gets eaten. Like, everything. Literally, if it's not eaten, it is burned and trashed. Like, everything's gone. Uh -huh. Just done. Michael Bay explosion. Yes. Uh, credits. Credits. That's it. <laughs> um, but there are a man and a woman. Human. Man and woman. Uh -huh. um, hidden within the life tree. During this time. Oh. Uh -huh. And they come out afterwards and repopulate the world. Oh. Uh -huh. Interesting. Yes. And there are a few gods left. There's like six that survive. Mm, right. Some of the sons of Thor. So would you and others. would you make the assumption that this is all like if you were a Norse person, you were hearing these stories. Are these stories what happened in the past before humans? I don't know because it's written more like Ragnarok is still to come. Right. That, that it's so that's an interesting idea that even though But it could in be Midgard, it could be their equivalent of the flood myth. Every culture has something like that where there has mm -hmm. been some massive catastrophe and only a very small bit of humanity right. left. It would be interesting to know if, if those people at the time had different interpretations of these right, stories of once they Ragnarok came out. had happened or Ragnarok will happen. Right. Because the you, you get the idea since Midgard is not on Asgard that these things are not necessarily happening on Earth. Right. So maybe there's somebody that's like, "Hey, I I know what happened last week, yeah, in mid in, in Asgard or whatever." And then, as and then the Ragnarok is just something that everybody knows is going to happen because Odin. No, it would be interesting knows. because if they did think it had happened already, then a lot of their gods are dead. Right. So I don't know how that would have affected. I don't know. Right, because that's that's something I, I guess because of Christianity, we don't necessarily know. I don't, I don't know how much we know about how they worship them. Right. In which case, if they worship them the way that we worship them, it's a living God that right. that can do things for you, that, you know, that deserves to be honored in certain ways. Um, but if it was all the idea that we're honoring the gods that came before us, then that's kind of a different So I'm going to take thing. a slight side trip from the Norse myth part, because... The only two stories I've read in depth, so like there's Beowulf, but mm -hmm. by the time of Beowulf, they were a Christian society, so they don't uh -huh. mention the old gods. They talk about mm -hmm. Christian gods. They just, gods. for some reason, mention there's monsters. They're yeah. there. By the way, there's a monster. Go kill it. Yeah. Ta da. Right. Um, the one I had mentioned earlier, the Njal Saga. Doesn't really go into details of how they worshipped them. Mm -hmm. They just mentioned that it is definitely different, and they were arguing over which one to follow. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I'm not really sure. But I, would, I wanted to bring up a little more about the Njal Saga because it reminds me of the way this goes. The whole idea of, oh, this guy's just, you know, mischievous versus, no, he's gone too far. Because the point of Njal Saga is there's these two families that are feuding with each other. Mm -hmm. And it just starts at first with like, oh, you stole my cow. <clears throat> or, right. oh, you didn't, you know, pay me back for that job. You, you know, you borrowed my plow and never gave it back. Whatever nonsense neighbors right. get up to. Yeah. And then it slowly starts escalating into, oh, you killed my servant last week. You owe yeah. me X amount of money. And mm -hmm. then the other one's like, well, you went after my son. And then it it climaxes with the one family burning the other family's house down mm. with them inside it. Yeah. So it, it now becomes this, like, anybody who is left of that other guy's family is hunting everybody down. Right. Now you're just done. We're done with you. Mm -hmm. Like you have crossed the line. This is not the way this goes. However, the ending of that story was really fascinating. They almost escalate to the point of having war. Like they almost put the country over this crazy mess. Uh -huh. um, but I don't remember if there was a third, like some other country shows up to start trying cause trouble or what exactly happens, but they, the sons or whatever of the families end up becoming friends again. Mm. And one of them actually names their children after the other guy. Oh. Like, so they, they eventually reconcile and right. say, okay, this needs to end because otherwise we're just going right. to destroy each other. Um, which I thought that was interesting. I was like, I don't know if maybe that's part of well, you could, their belief you, system. I guess you can make the assumption that what they're, what they're introducing is that like the leaders have gotten blinded by this revenge thing mm -hmm. and that the younger people are kind of seeing the mistakes that they're, that their ancestors the, made. The, oh yeah. That they're this older generation is making. And so in their eyes, and, and, and it's an interesting thing because you could, you could read these stories and say, and think that there's no irony because maybe the people that write, wrote it and, and are telling the story and passing it down aren't aware of like there's some idiot in the back. That's like when people talk about comedy nowadays, you make a racist joke to make fun of how stupid racism is. And then there's an idiot in the back. That's like, yeah, I hate Jews too. Or something. And it's like, that's not the point of the point of what I'm saying is that I'm an idiot because I'm talking about racism and um, showing how the, the faults of how racism and, and how, yeah. And how my, yeah, my ignorance, my, misunderstanding of things so in the same way like you could i could imagine there being a viking thing where somebody tells a story and all the irony irony is lost because they're being macho mm -hmm. about stuff but like little plot elements like that show you that no what they're that what they're trying to get across is that violence is a slippery slope yeah and that it don't sometimes it only begets more violence um and Sometimes there are people that are, their eyes are open enough to see the mistakes that are being made and they can actually go be the bigger person and reconcile. Right. Um, yeah. So um, did you have any other questions before I go into the last section? No, please do. Okay. So obviously Neil Gaiman has been heavily influenced by mythology. Mm -hmm. I mean, so he wrote American Gods uh -huh. and Anansi's Boys and... Right. Um, Stardust is big, like, like fairy thing. Stuff. Um, oh, and uh, Sandman is a big right thing because that actually has myth a lot. Like some of it, like Stardust is very fairy, yeah, fairy tale more like, and uh, and the other ones are 
and all, most of the other stuff he does is interpretations of right. mythological things. Like Sandman has like the goddess goddess of death, and um, I think the main I think Sandman is I think it's the god of dreams. Okay. So that's and that's what that's what I know him from because I'm a comic book reader. But Melissa also has read his other stuff. That's I read Anansi's Boys and I've read Stardust and I've read. Um, well, the other one's not mythological; it's mm. more Cthulhu esque. But anyway, oh. um, yeah. So he definitely draws from a lot of mythology, and I think interprets it in a way that you know is still respectful of the source material. Like he's not taking it and saying, oh, let me put a fun twist on this kid. It's like, no, we're getting to the root of what this means and mm-hmm. just putting it in modern times. So like right. Anansi's boys, Anansi was another one of the trickster gods. Mm-hmm. And Anansi is very <laughs> tricky in that uh-huh. book. Um, and it's really, really interesting because it's it's two sons of Anansi. Uh-huh. One of them who knows he is and has powers and the other one who doesn't. And doesn't think he had any abilities or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they end up having to face the, the tiger. And I don't know. It's really cool. Um, American but, Gods I couldn't deal with as much because he gets very, very gruesome very, very quickly in that <laughs> book. So I wasn't yeah. terribly a fan of that part. But mm-hmm. um, And I'll say that too about when I got Stardust, it had already, I think, been turned into a movie. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was kind of like PG. Mm-hmm. It's no. not... not so it's it's kind of an interesting thing is that when you and and we'll also get a little bit into our how it affects mythology affects our writing, but there's I think there's an inherent difference between writing, like say the Harry Potter series, the Harry Potter series has a gimmick that is this is a fantasy world where wizards go to school to learn how to be wizards. Right. There's a difference between that and creating, like Tolkien did, creating a universe that is inspired by different mythological tropes and somehow redefining it for a new generation. And so, on the one hand, you get, like, when when you simplify it to, to where, like, the Harry Potter thing is, you get a lot of, you have the benefit of it being relatable to the reader. Mm in a way and it's accessible. Right. But then the what Tolkien did is very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And the way that Neil Gaiman does it is Gaiman has to deal with the readers that are like um that they want some kind of uh entryway into it. And so when you're redefining stuff for people, like you're gonna get people like me that pick it up and think this is gonna be like a kid's story. Right. And then I'm flabbergasted that, uh, like, the amount of, you know, graphic sexuality and things that are involved. And, you know, you reading American Gods, like, he's writing it in such a way that people would tell it back in the day, where it's this this gruesome thing. And so there's this balance of, uh, and I'd be interested to get your opinion on how he does it. Because, to me, like, there's people like, say, George R. R. Martin, that go to a level of graphic sexuality and violence in a way that to me is disingenuous if if his goal is to try to represent right. how these stories were told back in the day. And um, the parts that I like about Game of Thrones and what I like about Neil Gaiman is how they how intelligent they are and how 
authentic they are with the parts that they get right. Yeah. But how well do you, when you real you read Gaiman, what do you think that he is being? Because I don't really have an opinion. I think either way, I, I don't think I've read enough of his stuff. But do you think that he's going to the lengths of like George R. R. Martin, or do you think? There's just things that you don't personally like, but you don't think that he's trying to be, like, shocking with it. Or... I think American Gods was meant mm. to be shocking. Okay. I, I don't know that it was... I haven't read George R. R. Martin, really. I've seen the, movie, the show, but... Oh, right, right. I don't know exactly how... Yeah, I'll be, I'll be transparent that way, too. But it seems... When he but, talks about it in interviews... Yeah. It seems like he likes the idea of people being... Shocked by... Shocked stuff. by, titillated by it, and that... But I think still, yeah. even in American Gods, the 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 stuff that he does is still true to the characters okay. that he has. You right. know, it's not like just throwing in there sense. just to be shocking. Mm -hmm. It is taken to shocking lengths, maybe, mm -hmm. but it is still intrinsically believable. Uh -huh. Um. Yeah. So it is. It is a hard line to to say because. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not necessarily being true to, to mythological stories, because not a lot... I mean, some mythological stories are kind of gruesome. Mm -hmm. But they're not usually graphic about it. They usually kind of just say right. such and such happened and then move on. Mm -hmm. um, the cultures that these were a part of did some pretty awful things. And it, that's mm -hmm. across the board. It doesn't matter what right. religion or what culture you were. You're, the medieval world and the ancient world were tough places to be. Right. I mean, there are still places in this world that are tough places. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like it stopped anytime soon. But just as we were saying, the same sense of humor existed back then as it does now. The same sense of violence, the same sense of, of you know, I'm going to exert power over you because I can. Mm -hmm. All of that right. still exists now, still existed then. Humans have really not changed that much. Right. We just hear more about it now than we used to. Right. Um, and I'll say as far as our brand goes as we're both writers uh, I was discussing earlier because we were talking about Muppets because of Yay, the puppet of the puppet show that we were trying to avoid yeah. um, like our, we roll our eyes with that because when you see what Jim Henson did as far as like Dark Crystal and uh, the Labyrinth and the Muppet show somehow he was able to speak to a whole the whole family right. with what he did and and I felt cool watching those old shows, but if you're going to get into fantasy, that's what I think some, something that Tolkien did so well was that, and even like Peter Jackson's adaptation of the stories, is that like people are getting cut up and stuff like that, but it's filmed in such a way that it's not shocking and like kids going to see it were just like, this is, this is like watching a Disney movie. Well, almost. almost. It was a lot more violent than a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it's not, there's a difference in filming, but like how Tarantino films violence. Yes. And yeah. how like Peter Jackson. Fantasy did. violence. Like when you see an orc get its head chopped off, it's violent, but it's not, um, it's not glorifying that violence and it's not, um, it's not doing it in such a way that it's like, because it's an orc. It's right. not like watching a human get tortured and stuff like that something like you would see on Game of Thrones right. where like they're really focusing on the violence. They do it to beloved characters so yeah. that you, you know, cry your eyes out over it. Um, but anyway, my point is that like with Tolkien, he, he represented these key elemental figures in the, in these old stories in order to draw 
something that you know a, a five-year-old could understand and a you know 85 yeah. year old yeah could there is something appreciate. to be said for having a more universal appeal and i mean if if that's not your goal as a writer then you know Mm-hmm. You you write what you're writing, but that's I I I want to compliment Melissa in that like she's been working on uh, Glade, who is a um like it's it's a much more accessible I think story, but then when you do the Iron Sorcerer, which is on our on our Patreon, um, it's still it's a character that is in a much harsher world, but I think I trust your instincts as a writer that you're trying to do what the character would do yeah and it's not just because you're right like just because you started writing a character that is more brutal in nature that didn't become you weren't i didn't feel any temptation that you had to just be like and then he chops this guy's she right. chops this like guy's I'm, I'm not i'm not generally like, it's not a power fantasy thing right. and i think that that's a lot of fantasy writers nowadays to put my critic hat on are are giving what female characters specifically this kind of like power fantasy thing. Whereas a lot, a lot of what they, what some of them don't understand about the ancient mythology that they're based on is there's this balance of this person is capable, but they're also wise. Yeah. And, and they're noble. And And they know there's a line that you don't cross. Right. And so I, I should give you kudos for the Iron Sorcerer. It's not like priest. No, which I keep referencing because there's so many as there's so many of these grim dark um, characters that like you. Know, I mean, it's fun to watch. Yeah, but it's not. But it's not something that to me is a memorable right character. Thing. Like when you're writing somebody, you want it to be, you know, you want there to be some thematic element that you're working through, and in, in the ways that these ancient stories did, and um, you don't want it to just be the there for the shock value because then. That's disposable. You're gonna forget about that. The next, you know. Um, to put another name out there for somebody who I think is doing a good job of not doing just straight up power fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only read one novel so far, but Brandon Sanderson uh, likes to have main female characters. Mm. Um, but it's not just, you know, let's run through and slaughter everybody now because I've discovered I have power and I can kill all the boys that have been mean to me. No, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot more <laughs> in depth than that. He actually just has a story out now that he wrote for D and mm-hmm. um, that I'm going to try and read and maybe post some stuff about soon. Oh, and, uh, 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 while we're doing shout outs, I think that, the the, what is this? Slow, uh, guard of slow regard of silent things. Yes. By Patrick Rothfuss. I think that's a really interesting, uh, that is a female yes. character, right? Yeah. Yes. It's, it's an interesting character cause it was very entertaining to listen to, mm-hmm. even though it was all about, this meticulous yeah um kind of very feminine thing about like everything has to be right because i'm making all these preparations and stuff it was a very poetic uh thing that's that and that show it shows that as like a virtue um right in a way that doesn't it doesn't make it seem like let's let's look at betty crocker in the (laughs) fantasy world like it, it, it it makes it honorific yeah and so it's a really cool so that's a real. That's Patrick. I, I still Rothfuss. think that's one of the prettiest things I've ever read. Yeah, it's really kind of cool, beautiful. Um. So yeah, that was fun. So yeah, um, check out our writings. I am on momtoast.com. I have the Iron Sorcerer up, which will shortly be finished. Yes. Um, and it will be free for a limited time. 
Um, I am working on a novel that will hopefully be done <laughs> early in the new year <laughs> uh, called Glade the Bard and the Lost mm -hmm. Prince, um, which I hopefully will be sharing some stuff about. Um, what would you say yes, is, is your most mythologically influenced uh, story? Oh, um, well, what, what was interesting, uh, I, I worked a, a, a few years ago now on um, something called White Devil. Oh, yeah, and I yeah. plan on doing some kind of adaptation of that uh, in April um, and maybe tying it into the Hellboy thing because as, as we've uh, kind of Have teased a little bit. Have you seen the new trailer yet? Oh, no, I need to see that. Um, don't spoil anything. <laughs> um, okay. So anyway, so I, I'm I'm a big fan of Hellboy, and what I liked about his uh, universe was that it's a lot like we go listen to the Guillermo del Toro episode, but part of what he drew from that story and what's in the comic is about being a diff like being different, and that being something that makes you stronger, that kind of thing. But um, part of the uh, when I was doing the initial version of this story, um, I would, it was influencing, it was influenced by Eastern mythology. And so it was what, what it was combining in a strange way was the beliefs of Eastern mythology and how it's used by the villain to, um, like as like a kind of like a weapon. Mm. Cause the idea is that it's like the, it's, um, like what? So the, the, the what Eastern mythology or what uh, Hinduism was the basis of it, not just Eastern stuff. Um, it was their their ideas that at some point everything that is uh, matter and everything that is spirit will one day separate, right? And so what the what the tension was uh, in the in the story was this person's wife dies. And his beliefs are supposed to be aesthetic, but he he has this emotional tie and he doesn't know what to do with it or how to explain it because he's like, I have this vague idea that this is supposed to happen, but how am I supposed to reconcile with how I feel without her? And so he believes that she's in a better place, maybe, but then it turns out she's actually stumbled upon something and that she was stolen from the main character or he believes maybe she was stolen from him by the the villain um and so it toys with that part of it but then also probably the biggest mythological thing that i like and i still seek out is the whole werewolf vampire thing and i was also in that trying to discover okay so the i have this main character who is on this more spiritual journey but then he has patients who transform into a, a one transforms into a werewolf the other has kind of like a zombie thing and it's more like they're tricked in much more of the traditional devil like give, giving a deal to someone and uh, they're given these pills and so it's used as like you know what if you what if I could give you a new body but they're not told that these new bodies are um, like enslaving them in hell and everything. So, but uh, what but what I was kind of setting up was that the werewolf was a metaphor for post-traumatic stress. Zombie was uh, a metaphor for depression. And vampirism was a metaphor for substance abuse. So 
in this White Devil story, I'm going to try to keep that idea of uh, magic. The basis of magic is that you have to oppress somebody else. And the, the, the idea is that through the main character, you overcome this through a spiritual... Um, you overcome it through spiritual means rather than physical means. Um, and it, it, it's an interesting, it was interesting to try to look at Eastern religion and the things that I saw, I saw that some truth in it and trying to reconcile that with the, you know, Christian beliefs that I was raised with and that, that ultimately I believe are, um, you know, that, that, Christocentric myth that seems to transcend a lot of different religions, trying to infuse that into it. So that's a big, a long-winded way of saying <laughs> that I like monsters and and they they always fascinate me, and that's why I'm excited about Hellboy, excited about translating White Devil to that type of medium. Uh, but also, when I was in college, I learned about a lot of Eastern religions, and so it was interesting to see the different parts of it that I could see mirrored in. Uh, the Judean Christian uh, thing, um, but also there were different things like in Buddhism. I actually found myself much more attracted to Hinduism than Buddhism because Buddhism seemed to me to be a way to um, make make it seem like Hinduism had no ties to. It was all like scientific, and yeah. it was all like, well, we're this bundle of feelings if we can just get rid of those because there's actually one of the major things that I've, I'd like to debate or, or, or I feel like is a good way to illustrate things is that there's a Buddhist principle of if you're shot by an arrow in the forest, the arrow is the problem. And so you have to deal with your pain. So that's a metaphor for suffering. Mm -hmm. Like you deal with the suffering first, but my kind of debate of that, if you're going to compare it to, uh, Christianity and, and and if you're gonna try to deal with the underlying meaning of why you come up with all these mythological things is like if somebody shot at you, the person that shot at you is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna to want to get away from them. And it's interesting to me that a lot of Christian uh there's a lot of verses that are about you know you being in a spiritual battle. And so if you're gonna to go to that length, it's kind of interesting that Buddhism focuses on the suffering, whereas Hinduism, it seems like there is some kind of idea of a cessation of suffering that is a spiritual uh, exercise that you can, there's different principles that you adopt, and there's a lot of, it, it just seems like Buddhism, there's not really, also there's not really any characters, because the idea is like, it's a, it's just a, yeah. It's just a thing you do. Yeah. Whereas with Hinduism, there's a lot of wisdom that is enacted in did different. They, did you read any of the Hindu? Yeah. We, so we read the the Bhagavad Gita, uh -huh. and uh, that was interesting because it's Krishna coming to somebody and saying, "I'm going to help you defeat all your enemies," <laughs> and that was okay. interesting because one thing we talked about was what is what are some stereotypes that are of Eastern religions versus western and i said that a lot of them are seen as peaceful right and our religions are seen as hostile and so it's interesting when you read that to realize like no there's a lot of there's a lot of fighting and, and 
like we were talking about with Norse mythology, there's a lot of nuance that you don't get when you first are exposed to something. And so it's interesting to see that in Hinduism, there is, there are the ideas of the caste system and things that have been really, you know, if you're going to talk about the basic reason for them, you could make the case maybe that it used to mean nobility versus, uh, you know, pop, but really now it's like, I'm here because I'm better than you. Right. Uh, and it's been kind of usurped for that reason. Um, so I think definitely I'll try to come up with some things about Hinduism because it's, it's interesting to me in the sense of um, the uh, like stories like the, um, like we just watched life of Pi, And so there's uh, that influence on modern storytelling, but then, there's stuff like the Jungle Book, mm-hmm. where I'm really fascinated by the fables that the Indians, uh, the Western Indian people told. Eastern, East, sorry, yeah, Eastern Indian people told, um, and that and that there's that kind of macrocosmic religion that you have, but then the fables that are more folkloric and mm-hmm. and uh, fables are another thing we should maybe do an episode on because mm-hmm. fables are awesome. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we it's a, it's a, it's a bit of an old. Bit. It's a bit of uh, not an old episode. It's a bit of a long episode. So uh, we'll talk to you later. Again, Patreon.com/slash Think Outside the Box. If you want to support us, or, or unboxing us story, unboxing story podcast at gmail.com. I'm doing finger guns for no reason because they can't <laughs> see you. But can they? No. Okay. Good night.